0: Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Behind the Influence, a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media.
1: But it's hard, and you know it's hard, and companies fail, and it's okay to fail. It was so weird and stressful and depressing, honestly, at times companies from all over the world and from different industries, some of which were unexpected, all reached out. I think now our, our lives are just, yes, fundamentally different now.
0: If you haven't caught on by now, we're talking to Kevin Lin. We've interviewed a lot of influencers in front of the tech. Kevin is one of the few so far that we've had that basically created the tech. And I think that that's just as important because without you, there'd be no Dr. Disrespect. There'd be no Ninja. I mean, there'd be, but what would they be doing?
1: Uh, playing video games by themselves. <laughs>
0: exactly. So so we're really happy to have you here. Thanks Welcome. for having me.
1: Welcome. Thank you.
0: So, Kevin, Kevin, there's so much to talk about. Kevin actually is one of my husband's best friends, so I know a little about him. He enjoys Taco Walt Bell lies. thoroughly. <laughs> I
1: do actually love Taco Bell?
0: KFC, huge fan. Popeyes. Oh, is it Popeyes? Yeah, I, I forgot. Popeyes, forgot. Yeah. Forgot. KFC is pretty good. Yeah, you're Honestly, from New Orleans. I am Did from New I say Orleans. that? We
1: just say New Orleans. I don't know. Orleans. Like a lot of people come and they're like, hey, we're in Orleans. And everyone's just like, we just say New Orleans.
0: Well, when I visited Orleans, the Uber driver <laughs> insisted on teaching me the proper way to say it. And he was like, it's Orleans. And I was like, Orleans. But everyone else.
1: <laughs> you know, there's something for everybody there. So you can kind of say it however you like, I suppose. Yeah. No, New Orleans, though. New Orleans. Nol- Supremely lazy, Narnians. <laughs> I like that actually.
0: What an interesting place Nola, to grow up, up, by is, the way. It like, is
1: a, definitely a strange place to grow up. How uh, was that? I don't know. I, I I struggled to like fit in. I started smoking weed when I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. Went to a lot of like, just roamed around with like one or two friends. Didn't go to school. It just didn't like it. Uh, still managed to get straight A's. They could have kicked me out, but somehow they didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Just roamed around a lot. Lived in the suburbs. I mean, I. I grew up in Kenner, where uh, such precious people as DJ Khaled hail from. Um, wow. And a lot of people are like, oh, I've never been to your town. I'm like, actually, you have. If you've ever flown into New Orleans, you've flown into the New Orleans International Airport, uh, which is actually in Kenner, mm. which makes Kenner the gateway to the world. Mm. Um, and uh, so it was a suburb, you know, suburbs and... Uh, you went to school at this like all boys Catholic school for high school, which which taught me a lot. Like uh, this, my brother went through the same school and just like refused to go back to Louisiana for quite some time as a result of his experience there. But then ended up going to this uh, boarding school up in Natchitoches, like Northwestern Louisiana, like middle of nowhere, where uh, Steel Magnolias was filmed. Beautiful little southern town um, where basically all the People who just couldn't fit in where they were in Louisiana went. Uh, it was like a magnet school. So that was great. That was a lifesaver. But yeah, New Orleans is great. Music's great. Food's great. People are actually super nice. People are very nice there, yeah. actually.
0: Um, I was there for a movie junket, and I remember thinking, the one thing I was a little shocked by was during the middle of the day, just people drinking <laughs> yeah. and smoking cigarettes.
1: There's that, I think New Orleans, honestly, has a bit of a marketing problem. So there's a lot of people that go through every year. I think it's something like, I don't know, 12 million people flow through New Orleans every year. and It's this little bright spot in... The South, that's just very different from everywhere else. People know it for music, but people also associate just like super ratchet heavy drinking.
0: Mardi Gras, like, that's like what of they bro, think.
1: bro culture on Bourbon yeah. Street. Um, but really, like, sincerely, there's something there for everybody. Like, I started taking my friends to Mardi Gras the last few years, and they're like, holy crap, like, we thought this was going to just be like a nonstop hangover fest with like, you know, a bunch of college kids, which is there. You can certainly go to that part of Mardi Gras, mm. but it's very family friendly. When I was a kid, my parents would take me to Mardi Gras every single year. It's my favorite time. A year, schools out. Uh, They were teachers, so schools out for them too. And we just go and just like park it at 10 a.m. Wait for the floats to come. My dad be drinking beer. We'd be eating like hot dogs. I'm catching beads and like random trinkets, and it was like awesome. You go home with all this loot. You sort through it. You organize it. I guess I did that. It was was
0: (laughs) you organize to do that, but yeah,
1: like I prepared as if I was ever gonna ride in a float one day. I'd like tie them all together. Well, you did perfect perfect dozens and so on. Um, But it was really fun. And you know, your friends come out with you. You, Like my my parents' friends' families would, would. come out to, and it was a great time lots of music lots of cool art the floats are all designed it takes them all year to do these things and, and an army and it's like one of the biggest parties in the world it takes over an entire city for really about a month you know a lot of people associate it with the last couple of days where people go from like friday till fat tuesday but it's really going on in the city the whole time but that happens all the time people just wake up one day and they're like you know what i feel good i feel real good they call their friends they send out a flyer they put like this elaborate costume on and then they just go march down the road uh, and party. Music, dance, uh, food, and they just meander through the city kind of wherever they want. You gotta obviously like let the cops know that you're doing it so they'll help and protect you and make sure traffic's routed properly. But that stuff happens all the time.
0: Yeah, you're right. its It does have a marketing issue because I would have never known any of these things.
1: Yeah, everyone just, is so, it's, like, it's like Vegas South, right? A lot of people think of it that way. And you know, Harris promotes themselves a lot. There's a casino down there. It's a much friendlier experience than a lot of people imagine people think it's just really like heavy drinking uh like you know one of those types of experiences but you can go and do how, do it however you the like The
0: food's amazing. I remember a few meals that I had there. I was like holy shit this is amazing but also is going to give me diabetes probably.
1: Yeah, it that, you know that is so like the it's a very, you know, let the good times roll as they say type of place and I think the thing I greatly like about being there is everyone has good balance. They work hard, and in the case of like, you know, startups and corporate workers, they work a lot but they'll, you know, they'll they'll take the time to go to happy hour, to go spend time with their family and friends every night. I think the result of that as you notice is people are just a little happier and they're just not like they they hustle but they don't overdo it. But the food and the drinking is a big part of the culture. That's a big part of this like local community culture. I mean, you see bars, restaurants, there's not a lot of national change. You see them, of course, like Taco Bell. Popeyes is actually from New Orleans, so people embrace it. Raising Canes is a new new fried chicken spot from Louisiana that people like. But there's a lot of local stuff that you can go to and people like to congregate. People actually like to go out and hang out. It could be in the neighborhood, it could be at a bar, at a restaurant, but they like to see each other in person, which is cool. So when you go down there as a tourist, you're not just seeing a bunch of other tourists. You're seeing a lot of locals and they're 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 happy to welcome you. But yeah the they have a fitness problem in addition to a marketing problem in the city. Like, people got to exercise. Maybe people they're just living their best
0: lives and they don't care.
1: They are. But you then, know? you know, you think about like we have a huge diabetes problem. We have a huge... The Ochsner Hospital in Louisiana is like the number one liver transplant hospital in the world. I mean, congratulations. But, you know, you might, wanna, you might wanna you want to think about some community outreach about that. <laughs> you know, Lily, You fly to the airport. A big sign. Ochsner Hospital. <laughs> number one liver transplant hospital in the world. <laughs> In the, in the airport, Stop. right when you arrive, right when you get there, they're like, yo, check out this awesome thing we do well.
0: <laughs> no one's pointing out that it's because of the beignets and the crawfish. No, but my mistake was going there without you. So next time, I'm next definitely going to go with you. I, this year, I really wanted to go with you because you had your own float, Yeah, which, by the way, I had no idea it was so hard to acquire or be a part of a float. It's like a whole situation.
1: We rode in Orpheus. I mean, it's one of those things... I never really imagined I'd ever do. And it's you know generally historically reserved for fairly wealthy people, very networked people. But Orpheus was started by Harry Connick Jr. And what he wanted to do was create a parade where anybody had a shot at riding, and it wasn't about how much money you had and it was also about diversity. So if you look at like most of the parades were all male historically, then a couple popped up like Muses that became all female. And uh, Harry's was the first to be mixed. And he was just like, fuck it, I can do this. I'm Harry Connick Jr., why not? And so it was all about embracing that. It's all about celebrating the arts. He's got a nonprofit that supports all that stuff. And he's done so much for the city. So I don't know, We, we Ryan invited us to go to Orpheus Capade. So they all have balls after the parade. And so we went to Orpheus Capade the last couple years. And then two years ago, Mardi Gras, he was like, hey, do you guys want to? do a float and I'm like, no, sure why not. Happened to fall right near my birthday, so it worked out. It was great fun. It was weird, honestly. It was kind of a really weird experience to be on the float on, on and just sort of s- you drive through so many neighborhoods and you can see how much of a dichotomy there is just from one block to the next sometimes. It kind of made me see the city in a different light.
0: Mm, that's that's insane, especially since you grew up there. When did you leave New Orleans?
1: Okay, so college I was born there in 1982. Stayed there till I was 16. And then 10th grade, I went to Louisiana school up in Mm -hmm. Natchitoches. And Mm -hmm. I spent two years there. I mean, I was going back home every month, driving back and forth. It was like a four and a half hour drive up to Natchitoches. And they made us go home once a month just to make sure we were still being with family and everything. And then I 18, so... Uh, year 2000, I went to college.
0: Where'd you go to school?
1: I went to Yale for undergrad. I've
0: never heard of that school.
1: Yeah. It's, 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 (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's it's okay, honestly. Um,
0: Yeah. So Yale, is this where all the uh, magic started happening?
1: This is where all, yeah, something like that. Um, So I went to Yale study ecology. Wait, but
0: let's reverse because you said you never went to school and you smoked pot, but you still got great grades why is it that I meet these successful people all the time who are like, I barely tried. Then I went to Harvard and I'm like, what, what happened in between?
1: I think about this a lot actually. Cause I, I also encounter similar people. And so like in high school, I just didn't go, I, I didn't, it was, i went to a school called jesuits all boys catholic schools it was a terrible experience the sad reality is our educational system is one of the worst i think it is second worst if not now first first worst most worst whatever the is. worstest see this is what happens if you don't finish high school <laughs> well, i finished high school uh, this is what happens when but you then attention. To yell, so it's fine so i went there and i i just didn't enjoy going for for multiple reasons uh, a lot of bullying a lot of just boredom mm-hmm. um a lot of just like they're, they're like forcing religion on you and I just wasn't prepared, and my parents didn't know how to prepare me for that type of schooling. And now I understand why my brother is so bitter about his experience. You're supposed to be able to skip like 10 days a semester, or uh, yeah, a semester every half year, so 20 days a year. I skipped like 40 because I just didn't want to go in. I still got straight A's, and so they didn't kick me out. But many times I went to see the guidance counselor, and they're like, "Hey, you got to come to school, or else we're gonna we're gonna have to drop you out." And I remember, I remember this. This was just popping in my head, random moment of redemption. I think I had where uh, my. Ninth grade geometry teacher came and said, hey, will you come to Mu Alpha Theta, uh, the like math competition with us? Because if you come, we think we'll win. And I was like, nah, it's my girlfriend's birthday that weekend, so I'm just not going to come. And then after that, they just wrote me off and I left uh, to go to Louisiana school. But the school is terrible. Mean, I'd sit, I'd go to homeroom, 8.55 in the morning, and all the kids in class would be like, hey, which one are you? Dan Tran, Don Wynn, Kevin Lin, you know, that happened almost every day and got in fights. That's and awful. Eventually found this really small community of Magic the Gathering players. <laughs> and so yes. we literally like we were so egregious about it. We sat in the basement between the Coke machines playing Magic. And it grew from like five of us to like 10 of us to 12 of us. And this, there's this guy, Brian Funk, like a bunch of my friends, like Charles Pretz, uh, no, Charles, Pretz, Charles Nunes, uh, Kevin Walker didn't play, but he was like a baseball card gather and he just hung out with us but it was like a bunch of kids who just couldn't quite fit in so we just play magic together during lunchtime for everyone to see right we we're like sat, sat down with you're all like of you're making like fun of me now wait till you out. see what i'm yeah. about to do yeah you want to go uber and I actually got we they actually banned us well they tried to ban us at some point because they thought the cards were satanic um because this was like you know what, what year was this like i don't know 1996 or something and it was uh the cards were like demonic horde, demonic tutor so they like literally would rifle through my cards looking for things that look satanic and like okay you can't play this game anymore <laughs> luckily i found out about this boarding school and left but it wasn't great i mean they just don't they don't teach the kids there how to like be good community members they just kind of let them run rampant a very jock driven school like the the jesuit would win you know the football state championships and blah 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 like they they were really into sports and i wasn't into sports, so another mark against me you know But I, you know, it's fine. It was a good learning experience. I got to meet lots of cool people, uh, ended up and, and you know, it was okay. Survived. Louisiana school was awesome though. Mm -hmm. Much different.
0: And then you get into Yale because you just got into Yale.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like you know, like seven people from Louisiana get into Yale every year. What
0: made you apply to Yale? My, you had my good guidance grades. Counselor. You had good grades, obviously. Yeah. You probably scored well on your SATs. I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, I did okay. We did ACT and SAT. I did all. I did fine. I got good. I got. I got good grades. Good grades. My brother went to Harvard, so my parents like go to Harvard, just apply, like blah blah blah. My guidance counselor, um, uh, Joanne Forrest, in at Louisiana school, was like, hey, you should apply to Yale, and honestly. I never heard of Yale at the time. And I was like, there's like a lock company, right?
0: Maybe don't say that because there's a lot of kids out there right now who are like, oh, their dream dreaming so, life. Here's
1: a funny thing. So like, I literally, I did, had never heard, here I am like 17 years old. And I'm like, I don't know what that school is. Like At the time, I was trying to convince my parents to let me stay in Louisiana because I had a high school sweetheart I wanted to stay nearby. She was in Mobile, Alabama.
0: How'd that work out?
1: <laughs> it didn't work out, unfortunately, But or fortunately, I guess. I don't know. She's great. She, we, we keep in touch. Shout out. But my parents were like, you know, if, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? And so applied for Yale, applied for everywhere. Yale was one of the first to respond, so I went up there. I went actually to Shreveport for an interview with this random dude who was like, I don't know what he did. He was like a lawyer, I think, in a big building in Shreveport, Louisiana. Brought him a king cake thought it was a nice thing to do. And he and I just got along awesome.
0: You would do that. And
1: then and then they sent me and then and then they did a follow-up interview at school on campus. Some some like an army guy came in. I don't remember his name, but he came in and he was a Yale grad and I think he was CIA. And he came in and spent some time with me in his like army outfit. I'm like this is the most intimidating interview ever, but he was also super nice. So when they sent me the acceptance I was like okay, cool. This seems good. Ask my brother. My brother was like, "Look, you'll have better you'll have a better time at Yale than pretty much anywhere else. So just go there. It's like, it probably will suit you the best. And he was right. Uh, you know, good advice. Oh, the other piece of my advice my brother gave me that was very simple but correct, I think, was just major in whatever you like. Like, it doesn't really matter. You'll see people that are history majors and poli-sci majors that go be a doctor, people that are econ majors that go be you know not, It doesn't matter. It's sort of like it just a period in your life where you're self-discovering. So just try to find the thing you really enjoy. And so I switched much to my parents' chagrin from... Medical engineering because my dad's an engineer he's a professor at UNO University of New Orleans my mom was also a special ed teacher and so they're like go be an engineer but don't do what we did don't teach after go get a jo- go get a real job but learn engineering it's really important and ideally go be a doctor that was I was, was pre-med track
0: they had it all figured out yeah
1: that was that was the plan and then I took this a uh, class called EEB 101 which was the diversity of life with this teacher named Leo Buss who was this like awesome ecologist guy and loved it and I was like, I'm going to switch to ecology and evolutionary biology as my major. That was like the first rift I had with my parents were like, no, paying for school. You are going to study engineering and you're going to go to med school. That's like, that's what we're paying for. Switched anyway. Had a blast. Loved my major. Loved my classes. I learned how to do bug collecting. That was my favorite class for sure.
0: Did you have a plan at that point when you chose the major, what the end game would be? Or were you just like, I'm focusing on what interests me right now and I'll figure it out later?
1: So- in reality, that's what was happening. What I told my parents was, oh, uh, I don't want to be a doctor, doctor. I want to be a veterinarian. And so that became the reason to switch. Got and it. so I'm studying animals, animal science, ecology, anthropology, like a really, it's is a very wide variety of, of, of classes, you know, to take like hard math classes, like differential equations, which to this day still doesn't make any sense to me. And that was the excuse. And then, then you had to do like 2,400 hours of veterinary volunteering in order to even apply. And there's only, like, at the time, I don't know how many, like, 20-something veterinary schools in the nation. And so UC Davis is one of the best ones, and I think Northwestern, I don't remember anymore, Uh, Northwestern maybe. And so that was the quote-unquote path I had selected. And so I spent my summer, my junior year, doing an internship at the Audubon Center for Research of Endangered Species, also known as ACRES, back in Louisiana on the West Bank of New Orleans, in, like, the middle of the swamp. That was my veterinary experience need, I guess, fulfillment. And it was great, honestly. It's like part zookeeper work, part what they <laughs> call it reproductive physiology work, which was a nice way of describing that we were just trying to make sperm and eggs last longer in transit. But it was cool.
0: And then, so from that, you graduate with this major. Did you? You didn't switch again?
1: No, stayed in EEB. Yeah.
0: And then, what was your next step after that?
1: I. <laughs> Didn't have any job lined up after graduation. I had met this girl in my senior year on this random trip in Taiwan, and she was in New York. She was in NYU. Her name was Jenny. We we, had, we just hit it off. It was great. Uh, we weren't dating or anything, but we started hanging out in New York towards the end of my senior year. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. Like All my friends are going to New York. I'll just come to New York. And she's like, that'd be great. I'm going to stay here. She was working at a hotel because she wanted to go through like hotel management program and so on. And so I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, I'll just move there and maybe I'll find a job. Meanwhile, all my friends are like, they got a job at, you know, some bank or some some consulting group paying real salary. I get there and I'm like, okay, I need to find a job. This shit's expensive, man. And my brother hooked me up with this group that he knew called Usual Suspects. They're like an events production company. I did a ton of events in college, lots of parties, lots of actual events. And I talked to them and they're like, oh, you should go talk to this company called NYC and Company. But we'll give you some freelance work. So I just had a bunch of random event project coordination for a little while and eventually worked for NYC and Company, not the fashion company, but the Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, doing events for them. And my boss was Barbara Lorber. I mean, one of my she taught me a lot and she was amazing. She she she's my Jewish aunt. And so we did a random events and we also worked in the NYC 20. Uh, 12 Olympic bid, so that was pretty cool to to be able to work on that. This was in 2004, and uh, I remember I walked into this room and it's like Dan Doctoroff, all these all these like people in New York that have the power to do crazy things. I'm Like, hey, guys, how is this logistically possible? You have to get people from Staten Island to Queens to Brooklyn. You're even doing some shit in New Jersey. Like, this doesn't seem feasible for, like, when a million people congregate together. This seems impossible. And so, anyway, I wasn't invited to those meetings after that. But um, (laughs) uh, we worked on a bunch of events. We did, like, a culture fest in Battery Park, which was uh, just about bringing all the performing arts and other art organizations, music, and so on, down to one big sort of uh, festival in the park. I had great perks. I could go to any museum free. I could go to any dance show or art show or music show for free because cause I knew all, the, all all those people. So it was awesome. Didn't get paid a whole lot. But yeah, it was it was great. It was great to experience New York. Complete opposite of New Orleans. Yeah. Just the polar opposite. Of New
0: polar Orleans. opposite. Yeah. So from there, I mean there there's so many things that probably happen in between Starting what you didn't even know Twitch was going to exist, but going over to you were a part of Social Cam and Justin TV and all this stuff. How did you meet which would later be dubbed the Twitch Mafia? Okay, how did we meet them?
1: All right. So (laughs) I met a bunch of these dudes in college. Funny enough, I didn't know Emmett. At all in college, maybe we ran across each other at some point, but I certainly didn't know the guy. And now he's my, you know, co-founder and one of my best buds. But Michael Seibel, I knew very well at Yale. You have all these residential colleges. I was in one called Ezra Stiles, which was like basically in Bumfuck, New Haven, Connecticut. No one ever went to hang out there. So I was super lazy, so I'd end up just crashing on my friends' couches in Brantford. Brantford was much more central on campus. And I had met this dude named David Way who lived with Michael and a bunch of our other friends. They they called themselves the God Quad because that was, like, the name of the suite they lived in in Brantford. You know, Michael's this, like, big football player. He had a huge, beautiful Afro in college, too. It was amazing. <laughs> and he was living with them. But I met David at this random Taiwanese-American society event that I went to my freshman year. And he was standing there, like, he had this, like— He looked super proper. Slicked hair, slicked back, tall dude from Texas. You know, black slacks, this like maroon button-up shirt. And He's like, hey, I'm David. I'm like, I'm Kevin. Where are you from? He's like, I'm from Texas. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm from Louisiana. I like didn't think I'd meet anyone from the South like that quickly here. And so we hit it off and then I eventually met his suite mates, of which Michael was one. And so Michael and I became quite close friends. And we were we just played video games together all the time. Played uh, a variety of games. They played a lot of Command and Conquer generals. We played a lot of time splitters, uh, James Bond, and so on. So we just we just hang out and play video games together, throw some parties together here every now and then. So Michael and I stayed in touch. We ended up being quite close junior, senior year. He ended up staying one extra year. And all the while, Justin Kahn, who was one year younger than, than we were at the time, he was 05, we were 04, We'd run into each other all the time, loved him, like always, we, we never, we weren't, honestly, we were not super close close in, in college, but certainly ran in, 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 uh, ran into each other all the time. So flash forward a couple of years, 2006, I had just moved to San Francisco and I was working for a beverage company. Eventually, like, uh, a, a, a year, like a, in the middle of 2000, 2006, I don't remember exactly what time of year, I think it was spring, uh, Justin and Emmett, ha- after graduation, they graduated 2005, they had built a calendar company called Kiko Calendar. It was before Google Calendar. It was like an Ajax type of calendar. They sold it on eBay. <laughs> they sold their company on eBay for like $250,000. I think first and still only company to be sold on eBay to a company called Two Cows, packed up their stuff, drove across the country with Michael. Michael was working for Quasium Fume, raising money for a Senate campaign in Baltimore his year after graduation. But they kept in touch. They got together, drove, drove across the country, and I was house sitting for my old boss at the beverage company, the CEO of the beverage company, Flora Sun, who was also a great boss. And I'm like, I yeah, just come over, no one's there. I was I was really dog sitting. It just happened to be at their house. They had this beautiful black lab named Loki. And it's like, will you stay up there, take care of him? So I invited him over for a barbecue. We was hanging out in the hot tub, and and Justin's like, I got we got this idea for a business. I was like, okay, what? We're gonna stream my life 24 seven. And I'm just, could like, you imagine you know,
0: one of your friends being like, I have this genius idea. <laughs> You guys are going to stream my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's just like, you know, you look, I'm just like sitting there like, you know, I really like you guys and it's awesome. I'm really happy you're moving to San Francisco and I really don't want to discourage you or offer anything that might prevent you from starting your dream. But that idea is really kind of the worst. And like, why would you do this to yourself? And they explained it and I was like, okay, cool. Well, you know, like they had raised, they raised, they were raising money from angels and a lot so of people So they already had this bet.
0: idea in motion. They were
1: already starting to talk to people about it. Okay. And And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, let me know if I can help. You know, like I, 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 the so only. So is this a
0: hot tub conversation? This I was just like want a visual. hot tub and
1: barbecue conversation. Okay. So
0: let's just, let's pretend everyone's in the hot tub. Yeah. So it's Justin Kahn, Emmett Shear, Michael, Michael Seibel, Seibel. and yeah. Kevin Lynn.
1: And there were like, I think a couple of other people, but I was so zoned in on this conversation, just thinking through like, what in blaze? What, what could this actually be? So look Justin's
0: like? pitching you in the hot tub.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> this, is, this is the image. So he's pitching
0: this genius idea. He's already spoken to angel investors. So it's not like he's like brewing the idea and running he's it past the homies. He's already tested it. Yes. He's testing. he's
1: testing it with many people. Okay. And and people are like, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll give you money for that. <laughs> and you got to remember, like in, in like the early 2000s, there was all kinds of weird experimental stuff that was happening in live video. I don't know if you've seen this movie called We Live in Public. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, you should watch. Actually, you know what? Save it. I'll come over to your house and we'll watch it together with Colin. And
0: we won't be stoned.
1: It'll blow your mind. You might want to be slightly stoned. No, um, I, we will definitely. Yeah.
0: As soon as this child comes out, you're, <laughs> you're coming over. And give we'll, me all the
1: weed. We'll, we're uh,
0: smoking weed and we're watching uh, this
1: movie. Sounds <laughs> excellent. I will be there. Anyway, so a lot of people were experimenting with like, you know now with the with the with the promise of the internet like the ability to just do whatever you want and demonstrate that to whoever feels like watching you was tested a lot before that but the technology wasn't there the the, the infrastructure wasn't there so the timing window around when they decided to start streaming and walking around San Francisco's 2007 it was still EVDO. you know if you're lucky 500 kilobits per second so it's still choppy video low quality um but as we were growing up the, the timing was just right um but really they actually did this show for a while justin streamed himself sleeping to waking up and getting ready going to the bathroom sitting and working walking around san francisco are you involved
0: at this point or
1: i'm like on the periphery i'm still Got it. i had just you know i moved in 2006 in san francisco so i didn't want to you know they didn't ask me to because I, I, I was, frankly, would have been completely useless to them. It, questionable if I was ever actually useful to them. Um, but anyway, I was de- delivering beverages. So I was like, oh, I want to help these guys. And so I would go to there like, their, you know, Michael was originally the producer. His title was a producer. Justin was CEO. And Michael would cook for everybody every day, cooking all these delicious meals. He loves cooking. But he what he was doing was really gathering people around what they were up to. And so friends from Dropbox, Airbnb, like at the time, all would just come hang out over dinners so we would go hang out with those guys and meanwhile, you know, go work in the warehouse and deliver sugar water on the Bay Area. And I was like, I got to help them. So if we eventually I found, found a sponsor for them, Balls Energy Drink. Which was just an in-kind sponsor. They sent one thousand twenty-four bottles of, oh. of balls to them, oh my um, but helped them help them get, get get stuff like that. Uh, we were one of the distributors there uh, in San Francisco for that. They actually contacted balls, but uh, then balls hit me up and they're like, "Hey, you're like our distributor here. Like, will you hook these guys up?" And I was like, "Oh, great. There's there's a sponsorship." Uh, so they were starting to like you know, quote unquote, define the business model, so to speak. Not really, because it was just energy drink.
0: But still, so ahead of your time to even be yeah. doing that.
1: Yeah, they were just uh, so they were yeah, and so the the show went on for a while, and eventually the feedback from the audience was, hey, we want to do this too. Like, is it possible? And so uh, I remember there was one day Justin went off offline for the first time during the show, and this girl, I Justine, had come up to San Francisco to, to take the to take the gear, the, the the backpack and the camera, and just to do that day. And so she did one day of streaming, and then went back to Justin. You know, then as uh, laptops got a bit smaller, like there was this uh, Sony VAIO laptop that had a cellular chip inside. Uh, And this was like back when it was like singular and and Sprint and so on, primarily for those those laptops. And that made it a bit easier to to, instead of carrying on like 80 pounds of batteries like Justin Mm -hmm. originally had to, to carry around, became a little bit more feasible. So we started shipping those laptops to people. So, but, hey, the, but the
0: original intention was not for others to stream was the original intention. Just Justin is creating this huge production.
1: The original idea was just yeah, was there Justin's was no life 24 seven.
0: Okay, because it would make sense if he was like, I'm going to spearhead the movement and then other people are going to want to be a part of it. He pitched it to you guys as we're going to stream my life. End of sentence.
1: Yes, that was the pitch. You know, probably in the back That's of their so minds, they're thinking about it. The way they, you know, it, it, the it, big it, picture. It, it, yes, just thinking through, and the investors certainly were thinking about that, right? Just okay, if you need to do this, yeah. there's actually a whole crap ton of technology you need to build. You know, it doesn't yeah. exist today. That technology doesn't exist today, so um, there is a real, there's a real tech business here, so to speak, behind the show as a as a business front. But yeah, no, the original pitch was definitely Justin TV. But all
0: the guys that are involved, if you think about it, are such forward-thinking people that, of course, they thought that this would go beyond. Otherwise, I don't think that would be worth their time yeah right yeah so okay so now other people are you're starting to ship out these smaller laptops you are still on the sidelines at this point just kind of homies with everybody watching everything happen yep what are you thinking as this is kind of expanding before your eyes do you want, do you want <laughs> in at this it's point it's funny
1: because like michael was such a good friend he tell me what was going on and i'm just like guys like what is what are you doing you guys are crazy like is this gonna work like how how is this business gonna really build how are you gonna make money Does someone buy you? Like what really happens? And, you know, I'm just, I had moved to San Francisco not for tech and I had no, I had no knowledge of the industry. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how fundraising worked. I didn't know how monetization worked. I didn't know, I didn't know how the internet worked, honestly. I knew that it worked and it it was awesome, but I didn't really study it. I wasn't like obsessed with it in that way. And so to me on the periphery, I just saw Justin popping up on like today's show, On the front page of the SF Chronicle, like doing all this stuff, kind of doing it, like becoming this internet celebrity by streaming himself 24 7. And it's just like, this is so wild because I tune in and I'm like, this is the most boring shit ever. And yeah, he's just sitting there, just like looking at his laptop. Like, why do people watch this? But it was for these moments. All of a sudden, something would happen, and that was enough. Like one day, they bumped into Dave Chappelle, and that was a big deal, right? So it was, it was cool to start see to start to see like, okay, I see that people will tune in to wait for these things. But guess what? They weren't just doing that. They were talking with each other. They're talking to Justin. Justin's responding to them in chat. So it's actually not as boring on, as as if you dig a li- just one tiny little bit l- layer deeper. Mm-hmm. People were just hanging out, yeah, and that was the that was what I finally realized was like this this power, this platform that they were building was it's a way for people just to hang out with other people when they're alone or with other people, but mostly for when you're alone, you know you when you're walking around somewhere, you're doing your errands or or whatever wouldn't it be nice. If you could just chat with somebody, you know, if you don't have somebody be there with you. So that, that, that to me started to resonate, but that was, you know, it really was like, it was just crazy to see. It was crazy to see that people were really paying attention to it too. And just like really intensely curious about it and that their audience was continuing to grow. Like it wasn't huge, you know, like tens of thousands of people would tune in here and there, but it wasn't like millions and millions of people just yet. But once they once they started to open it up for other people, I guess that's when that's when they were like, OK, we figured, you know, now that the tech works, let's shut down the show and let other people do it.
0: Was that social cam or was that it's still, still just, in, just TV. in TV? OK, so it's just in TV. How are you? How's everybody making money? How is everybody paying rent?
1: Uh, they raise money from a bunch of angels and a company or a VC called Alsop Louis. They saw it, you know, they're like, OK, behind this crazy show idea is a bunch of tech. And and as all the other angel investors did, I think some people just invested on the sheer boldness of the idea and and just in Justin and Emmett and Michael, because they're just insanely smart, crazy people. And so it's rare to see someone like that roll up in Silicon Valley and just be like, hey, we're, we're going to do some weird stuff here. So they raise money. And so they were, we were they were paying each other or paying themselves salary from VC, 75K a year. In San Francisco, which back in 2008, 2009 was not—2006 to 2010 was still not a lot of money, right? It's not not great. These days, a lot of young kids pay themselves way too much money and don't have the urgency of busting ass to to win— but uh, that's how we, you know, we, we, we kept a pretty shoestring for everything. Shoestring budget for, for the office. We eventually did food and stuff for the so office. So you're saying we. we so too.
0: at this point, you're involved.
1: At 2008. Uh, okay. So I should tell you the, that origin story. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So Michael calls me one day. I'm like working at this beverage company. And he's like, I need to do some math.
0: You're like, I know math. And and I, I was, was like, once asked to be in a math.
1: Yes. Yes. I was like, okay. Someone once told me I'm good at math. <laughs> so he's like, I need you to come help me put together like a, a model. I need to put a set of projections together and uh, to go out and raise money. And so I was like, okay, cool. I can help you put that together. But I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about the internet. I don't know how it works. I don't know what it costs. I don't know how you make money. And he's like, no, I just need your help. Just come. And so I was like, okay, I have to meet you at 7 a.m. because I have this other job I have to go to. So can you meet me at 7? I honestly thought he wasn't going to show up. But he shows up. I show up somehow, both of us. I mean, the fact that we both showed up was nothing short of a miracle. So we go show up and we start researching for like a week just scouring the internet for how the internet works. And we built these projections and um, helped him kind of mess with his pitch deck a little bit. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to go back to my normal job now. Good luck. Keep me posted if I can help. And then one day Justin's like, Hey, come have lunch with us. So they take me to Louisiana fried chicken, which was right across from uh, the ballpark on King King and third, which was right around the corner from the office. The office was. It was like an old art gallery cannery building. It was nothing there. Great place, though. And so we go there, and we order our food. Before I can even sit down, Justin's just like, you should join us. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Michael. I'm like, There are literally tens of thousands, if not more, of people who are way more qualified to do anything for you guys that know how the internet works, who've been there, who've done that, who understand the business, who have a network. And Justin was like, I don't care. We just want to work with people we like and trust. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. That's that sounds like an ideal place to be. Uh, thought about it for a couple of days and, and joined them. Left the world of sugar water and 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 joined the joined the internet.
0: A far, far cry from vet being a vet. Oh, well, yeah. No, totally. That
1: completely <laughs> didn't work out. That
0: didn't happen at all. Yeah. What kind of content was on Justin TV at that point? Was it similar to what Justin was doing or?
1: Yeah. Okay. It was a lot of what Justin was doing. So the channels back then were people like Paris Harris, which was this like fashion, fashionista guy down in LA. I think it was in LA. He was all over the place. But he would go and stream fashion shows and just do walkabouts around cities. But his focus was fashion. There was this guy named Moon Cricket Beto. Um, he did a lot of interesting like b boy subculture stuff, b boy stuff, roller skating, like a lot of dance and music, um, but very sort of underground feel. And part of it is his Justin TV experience, uh, which oh. is really cool yeah. that they ca- he captured this like really dark moment in his life on Justin TV. But there are lots of lots of different streamers like that. They, we had farm cams, like people literally just set up a camera on their chicken coop. We had mud truck TV, which we could never. T- I don't think it was live, but it was cl- just clips of. <laughs> mud trucks trucks driving through mud as promised by the name um and a bunch of random stuff super obscure stuff anything like people's desk cams lots of different shows
0: what were you at that point thinking about just people's use of the internet it was that was that opening your mind up to other possibilities and inspiring other things that you thought this could be much bigger than any of us could imagine
1: yeah for sure i mean we were you know we started thinking about different Ways to use the platform. YouTube was skyrocketing then and then eventually got acquired um, and became this like level of aspiration for us. Right. Instagram, same timing. Um, oh,
0: that's right. All these and around 2008, are... that's YouTube was doing partner programs. So were yep. you guys seeing the partner programs at YouTube and thinking maybe we should be doing a partner program.
1: Yes, for sure. We didn't really do partnerships, actually, in the very beginning. We just, we were, we, it was moving too fast and we were too small of a team. Um, but we, in, so 2008, the recession hits. I think that was one of those, you know, it was hard, but it was one of the most important things we that, that, that could happen to the company, which was we realized we had to figure out how to monetize because mm. our costs were starting to get out of control because the traffic was growing so quickly. And it's global traffic and certain countries are just way more expensive to, to deliver content into. But we're starting to spend, you know, in theory, we could get very quickly to millions of dollars of cost per month. And we hadn't raised that much money. And meanwhile, our competitor, Ustream, where Colin was at.
0: Yes, I was going to say to you, at what point does Ustream enter the picture? Because you guys were first, right? Yeah,
1: The timing was pretty close. We So we raised some money in 2008 and 2009 in two tranches. But we had only raised, I, th- I think it was about $12 million total. Then... Ustream goes out and raises $60 million. I remember that. And moves actually their office to a vantage point of ours, like a really nice new building that literally looked onto our shitty barn door. And we're like, okay, like, what are we going to do? We either go out and try to raise more money or we just batten down the hatches and figure out how to get costs under control and how to make money. So we made a number of critical hires then. Uh, Kyle, what well, co founder, who was our requisite college dropout?
0: I was going to say another person who casually got into MIT and just decided.
1: <laughs> yeah, he won the like, same you know, for me. He, he, he like, was like a robotics genius. He's a genius he's I mean, a in general. Genius. I mean, the dude is like, the ne- he is a true, true Renaissance man, like true. Also, like, casually, genius,
0: the nicest human I've ever met.
1: Super nice, super generous. And he, he eventually built Cruise Automation, sold to GM in like two years for. Just an two, two casual
0: billion-dollar acquisitions. Just chill, super
1: chill. Yeah, it's fine. You know, you know. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> anyway ki- so Kyle, like in college, Kyle, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle like uh, you know, was won the MIT safe cracking competition. He like participated. Wait,
0: in, stop. He did. Yeah,
1: he, yeah. And he participated in BattleBots at like the tender age of fourteen.
0: Your crew is hands down. I always tell people, and that's why I refer to it as the Twitch Mafia. You guys are just every single one of you. Is so interesting, <laughs> has done so much amazing shit, and you just happen to be nice, which is weird because a lot of people in your positions would be like, kiss my feet, please. No. But you're the polar opposite, every single one of you. I anyway,
1: mean, it's how we squish together. I love right? all we, of you guys, we, and you're best friends. Like that. It makes me yeah. really happy.
0: Okay, yeah. let's keep going. Before all right, I
1: cry. So where were we? Um, so, uh, so 2008, we started making some critical hires. John Shipman, for instance, uh, who built YouTube, uh, YouTube's infrastructure, built a bunch of structure for eBay and PayPal. Yeah. We tried to hire some salespeople to do ads. but We just figured it out. Like uh, all of us, we all spent time every day thinking about how do we do advertising? How do we do subscriptions? So we started just reaching out, going, to, going to events, tra- networking in the ad world. And we figured out between 2008, 2009, how to make money. And we actually became profitable. And so in 2009, we go back to our VCs and we're like, hey, we made it through the recession. Like, well, it still feels like the recession. We don't know when it's going to end, but like, hey, like we're making money now. And they're like, that's awesome. Like maybe we should think about selling. Maybe we should see to t- test some acquisition offers. And so we did into the, the, that early and didn't feel right. And, you know, it just didn't feel like it was, it was the right time. But by becoming profitable, it allowed us to really start to think about what we could do with the platform, to your question earlier. And so we thought of many different directions like, do we go compete with YouTube? Do we focus on on, on demand in addition to live? Realize, nope, you know, live is just our DNA. That's what we like. And it's going to be really hard to compete with YouTube now that they're part of Google and so on. So let's just do our thing. So this type of thinking happens between 2009 and 2011, and people are drifting constantly in and out, in and out, doing other things. Justin and I started a fashion company. I should say Justin started it and asked me to help him. Uh, it was his idea called Saboteur. It was hilarious, actually. There was a, uh, He made a jacket called Invincible, which is a waterproof blazer. Looks like a blazer, wear it to a nice party, silver insides, like nice red lining, you button up and, you know, it's waterproof. We're clearly getting distracted. Something is happening and we as a team are getting distracted. Okay, so real quick on that Invincible jacket. Justin's like, what, how do we market this thing? And I was like, why don't we go through a car wash with you wearing it? And so we did that. Uh, And It was a terrible idea. The video is somewhere. I should find it and send it to you. Please do. Um, But it totally worked. All right, we're doing a live test of the Invincible jacket. We're going to find out today how waterproof it actually is by running through a car wash. Are you okay? (laughs) Nice. Jesus Christ. Hold on, hold on. Let's check the jacket. Let's check the jacket. It's looking good. It's looking good. I'm actually surprisingly dry underneath. He was completely dry, except for the rest of his body. Um, so, uh, so, anyway, we're drifting, we're drifting, and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And we t- started talking about mobile. I remember having all these debates where half the team was like, no, nah, let's not do mobile. That's stupid. That's bullshit. And then other half being like, no, mobile obviously is the future. Let's do something there. And so we started to test JTV broadcasting. So, Kyle built our first sort of mobile broadcasting app. And that was from your mobile phone. So you walk around. Now there's 3G, right? Or, or it's like the the, the the on the cusp of 3G before LTE. So you, you theoretically could work. So there's this JTV mobile broadcasting tool, live broadcasting from your phone, from wherever you are. What we learned from that was that no one was tuning in during the live mobile broadcast. It was too short. People were only streaming for a few minutes. My theory was just because it got kind of tiring holding up the phone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just... It was probably multiple multitude of things, signal cutting in and out. You know, it's a really quick momentary capture. But what people were doing was they were sharing afterwards and people were watching the clips. And so like, okay, let's turn that into just a clip sharing app. So that became Social Cam, uh, Instagram for video, as we called it. Meanwhile, we're playing a bunch of video games in the office. Street Fighter was like kind of one of those always on games. Like there's this droning Street Fighter background music that was always on in the office. Then one day StarCraft 2 beta comes out. This was in May 2010. Somehow we got access to it, and we were already thinking about games. But then this game comes out, we get it, and we were playing it nonstop. And we're watching, we were realizing we we're going home and watching videos on YouTube, trying to get better, learning. And we're like, "Huh, this should be live. Like, why would this not be live?" And sure enough, we had a we had a small community of gamers back in the day. This was like Kaiba Four Player Podcast, Ustream had a bunch, Lord Cat, and so on. And so there there was a small community of game streamers on a variety of platforms. And so we started reaching out. What can we build for you? And a lot of people that we reached out to in the beginning that we eventually like eventually worked with us or became a partner were like, you guys are terrible. We hate you. Justin TV brand sucks, like go away. And we're like, no, 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 please. Like, let us ask you some questions. And we promise we'll go away, but we might build some stuff for you. We'll let you know. That just continued to, to sort of positively spiral. More conversations, more feature development. We branched out this subdomain called JTV Gaming. And uh, that became like the home. That was one of the big pieces of feedback we got was first one being, we got to figure out how to make money. Uh, then there are all these technical features like transcoding, high quality, blah, 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 all these important things that we, we had to build very quickly. But the big thing was they were like, we want a home. We want a place where we can go and hang out with other gamers. Not all this other weird stuff, not all this noise, we want a home for gamers, and so that's how really the the idea started to, to come to be. We were toying with it as Justin T, JTV Gaming. We didn't yeah. launch as that. We just did it. We built a, we built it. a brand, but we didn't really make noise about it. Right. Then on June 11th, June, June 2011, we launched Twitch TV. It was this old like heavy metal space theme logo with a little TV with a ghost in it that mm-hmm. Jacob had designed.
0: Why Twitch? Uh,
1: a variety of stories as to how we got there, but we were combing the internet for pronounceable single syllable domain names that were available for sale <laughs> so bill who built chat and among many other things at at the company bill morier bill bland back then was his name so he built this like domain crawler where he crawled all available domains that were like theoretically single syllables so roughly a vowel in the middle that seemed pronounceable that were available for sale and one of the first that popped on the list for all of us was zarth and it was available. We looked up on Urban Dictionary. It means like the the supreme state of being awesome or something like that. So, we're like, oh, that seems okay. But impossible to spell. What do you do with that? But we came up with all these ideas. Zarthlings. Like, users could be Zarthlings. It was hilarious. But we were like, that's not that's not right. Then one day, Emmett's like, all right, guys. If no one comes up with anything better, we're going to use Zarth. And that's when we're like, okay, scramble. So, we were, like, figuring out all these other brands. And then the word Twitch comes up. for for, for it's like, I think sort of, I, I don't... To me, when it popped into my head, we were talking about, like, what are things gamers need to be good? And so it was like fast Twitch muscles, blah, blah, blah. But really, the, we're just kind of stuck in all of our it's heads. It's so perfect. It's, it was perfect. It was an empty vessel. You could tell, you know, there's a story there about games. But it was just a word we liked. We bought Twitch.tv. We tried to buy Twitch.com. emailed the dude. And I, 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 got, I get on the phone call with him. And I'm like, hey, man, like, we've got $10,000 with your name on it if you sell us this domain. And he's like, "Well, Ev Ev from Twitter, do you know Ev from Twitter? He tried to buy this domain from me, you know, like years ago. He offered me like $300,000 and I I didn't take that. I was like, cool, congratulations. I've still got $10,000 with your name on it. And he's like, let me think about it. Comes back, he asked for like 750 grand. So like, okay, screw it. So we just stuck with the .tv domain. That's how it came to be. That's how it started. And we designed. Jacob designed the logo. And then one year later, 2012, we launched the new logo that you see today. That 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 that, that more retro mm. homage logo. And initially, it was like green, silver, and black, like our original logo. But we launched, and people really embraced it. You know, they're like, "Great! It's only for gamers. Awesome!" And we just took off. It really just we were just like the fastest growing website in the world. I think for like 18 months straight from that moment on till 2013 but at this
0: point so you're you're you know an exec over at justin tv but then also twitch is launching so how do you guys kind of separate who's focusing on what because it feels like two very separate companies
1: so we split up yep so we in in we we made the decision and talked to the board in uh 2010 and 2011 about splitting the company so social cam split off uh, Michael continued to be a co founder of that. And he had two other co founders, Aman and Guillaume. And then Twitch, uh, myself and Emmett did. So, and obviously the other founders are all still heavily involved along the way. Eventually, you know, Justin started a bunch of other companies. Kyle left and started Cruise. Michael that went and sold Social Cam and eventually joined YC. So, yeah, that, but that's how we split. So we recapped the business raised money for both sides but it was tough it was was a hard decision you know it's like it sucks to kind of split up but it felt it was the right thing to do and obviously we all went off and did a bunch of random crazy stuff but it was cool it was it was it was cool the board was was down for that but we had to be fair too right make sure all the shareholders are whole um, when you, when you do a split. And
0: like so that. after you split though, Justin TV was around for a little bit longer before, what, yeah. did, how, what did you, how did you guys make that decision on Justin TV to kind of let that fizzle?
1: Yeah. So the thing about Justin TV was, was it, is? it was still making money. So yeah. we didn't want to just totally shut it down, but we didn't really want to do too much with it because we want to make sure the resource, we promised the new investors that, um, the resources we would, we would put the resources towards Twitch primarily. That's our primary business now. And so we just maintained Justin TV. That's actually when we met Colin.
0: Colin, yes. Um,
1: we uh, found out about him as he was at Ustream. And I remember actually driving to like the Elephant Bar near SFO. It was some random bar off like the airport side road. and A bar that got Colin a, got, exclusively. Got, yeah, met him before <laughs> like he left town or was like just coming into town. We just sort of sniped him before he did anything else. Sat him down, brought an offer letter, and we're like, dude, you need to join us.
0: I remember this day. You need to
1: just come Crystal
0: clear. He was like, they met me. They made an offer the same day. And I was like, Who are these people? <laughs> because also we're living in LA, you know, Ustream had a LA office. I we had no idea, but it sounded like an exciting opportunity. He really liked you guys. At the end of the day, he took the job because if you You guys. Oh, I mean, yeah. No. And and
1: we we like we were completely smitten. Right. The moment we met him. And
0: didn't you write an offer letter on the napkin or something like
1: we were like sketching it all out. But we came with that actual printout. Yeah. (laughs) So. um, OK. And then Colin came in and, and helped maintain Justin TV and put together the plan to actually sunset it. The odd thing is we sunset it like right before acquisition. So a lot of people thought that's why. No, we, we were like, we were intending to do so for a while. We just want to make sure that community had a alternative place to go. We didn't mm. want to just abandon them immediately. So mm. we want to make sure they had time to to figure out where they were going to end up. But yeah, it was, it was an, you know, it was, it was quite a day in internet history, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, it was sad to see it go away, but it was the right decision for us as a business. I mean, you have to make very hard decisions like that in this world at, at the speed that the internet moves, like you have to be very quick about focus decisions and do the right thing. But it was great. I mean, it, it Justin TV is the reason why all these platforms exist. It was, it was the testing ground for all the tech that's behind it. We learned so much throughout the process. Um, again, super sad to see it go, but...
0: I don't see it as a sad... Obviously, you're more emotionally invested than me, but it seemed like a new chapter from something else. It was like a birthing process almost. Yeah,
1: totally. Right? Totally so, a birthing process. Yeah.
0: So Justin T V gave birth to <laughs> Twitch. And then casually Bezos is like, hey, yeah. a couple of years later, he was he really liked the idea. Yep. And you guys got acquired by Amazon. We did. How many years after Twitch was born?
1: So Twitch birthed. launched twenty eleven. We were purchased in two thousand and fourteen.
0: Is that uh, somebody who has invested in many startups and launched startups? Is that a pretty quick turnaround?
1: As a brand, that is an incredibly fast turnaround. The reality is the tech had been starting to be built since 2007. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you if you consider the Justin TV era side of this and without the learnings of advertising and subscriptions and so on, we couldn't have done Twitch. Not not that fast anyway. So you, if you count that, that's like about a seven year spread.
0: And you have to count that. I think the common misconception with Twitch is, oh, my God, they came out of nowhere. And then got bought. Two and by. a half years or three years later, they got they get bought for over a billion dollars and people don't realize this was many many iterations oh, yeah. in the works many almost a, de- a decade
1: almost a decade yeah, yeah. so Right. So it, it was it was a while. But from the brand's perspective, yeah, it's about a little over three years that we got acquired. But from a, from an actual businessing perspective, seven years.
0: And as somebody who was, you know, an exec at the company, did you guys have a bunch of offers? And obviously we're not going to discuss who, but how did you know that Amazon was the right one? Because I'm sure yeah. you had other offers.
1: We talked to all kinds of people I mean it was it was, it was fascinating because uh the people from all over the world companies from all over the world and from different industries some of which were unexpected potential like acquirers all reached out they all started to reach out in 2014 and you know we were not naive about it but we're kind of like yeah we're not really interested in selling right now everything's going so well we just raised our series C and uh we're like, let's just meet let's just meet them because it'd be cool just to see what's up and you know what's like all, you know, it doesn't matter. All CEOs of media companies, tech companies are reaching out. And so we have all these meetings and we go through a variety of processes, uh, learn a lot along the way. But Amazon felt right for many reasons. So a, a lot of people were surprised. But uh, at the time, they told us th- these are all public now. But they have this whole game thesis that they, uh, around this ecosystem idea that they were building. Uh, it involved a game engine, which eventually launched as Lumberyard. It involved a bunch of first-party game studios at Amazon that Amazon was funding that they were building on this this game engine. The idea being, many game companies use AWS and increasingly more. So how do they make it easier and better for game companies? Then they have Amazon Retail, while they weren't huge on digital, there was you know some desire to do so, obviously, and there was all this other stuff they were doing around uh, Amazon uh, Prime Video. So like, okay, cool, this kind of makes sense. We are. The, the, the thesis with them when it came to game development, future game sales made a lot of sense and it felt right you know we, we weren't gonna be a cog. we were so perpendicular to anything that they were doing at the time that it felt like they would let us do our thing and so in as we discussed with them, they're like yeah totally like we don't we, none of us do anything close to what you guys do you, we' want you to do your thing we'll resource you up um love for you to work with other other teams at Amazon over time as as you desire but no pressure just do your thing. We just really like what you guys are up to. And so it just made sense.
0: And that, but that's that's a very unique situation also because a lot of companies when they get acquired they kind of sell their souls in a sense. And I remember asking Colin is this going to change Twitch? Is the community going to be upset? Are they going to start making you do things that don't really make sense for the gaming community. And he was like, they're awesome. They just want us to do our thing. And they did. They really let you do your thing. And to this day, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it worked out and Amazon's killing it. So
1: yeah, they're doing they're it. Doing so you great. guys
0: kind of, Everything you made awesome. the right decision. <laughs> I don't think you need me to tell you that. Su-
1: super lucky. Very fortunate, right? Like su- yeah. super, it, there's a lot of luck in the in, in, in business and we're, we're very lucky we picked right. It wasn't easy. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, there are like the learnings of becoming part of a large corporation are hard. But no, they always trusted us just to continue to do our thing. To me, it's all efficiency. I like I I much rather work with a uh, frankly a small team, move fast, iterate, experiment. That's just a it, just my my style a bit more. So it's like, and that's for a lot of people that grew up with Twitch, right? In Twitch, uh, uh, as part of the team. So learning that was not the easiest thing to do, but we figured it out.
0: So there might be a founder of a startup listening right now who is potentially considering an acquisition. There's a lot to weigh out. Is there a piece of advice now in hindsight, since you've been through the whole process with a really big deal that you would give that person prior to making a huge decision like that?
1: Yeah, number one, really think through and accept. Make sure you accept the fact that everything will change for you. It is no longer your company. While it does happen that acquisitions are managed well and the team stay happy. That is unfortunately the rare state. So that's number one. Make sure you know that if you're going to sell, you lose control, you lose You lose that. And it's not really about control. Control is wrong. It's not your baby anymore. It is in the sense of like the longevity. You still want it to work. You still want it to be the thing that you want it to be, but it's not yours. The second is talk to people who have been through it before. Definitely get advice. Everyone's willing to share really about that process. And Mentor you through it. Again, on point the on point one, like really know that this is an irreversible decision. Do you want to continue to build this forever with the hopes of making money and maybe never, but enjoying it all the while, or sell it and risk not enjoying it anymore? That's basically if, in a simple binary way of thinking about it. But talk to people at a certain scale, like if you're selling for hundreds of millions and up. Talk to a banker. It's not the worst thing. You don't necessarily have to hire them. Jimmy Kim from Catalyst, who worked with us, was awesome he got to know us super early helped us network coached us through a number of things including fundraisers like he was just a super awesome nice guy that we trusted like most times founders meet bankers like ah oh, fuck I don't, I don't i don't like i don't like these guys i don't like these people like go away but if you find the right banker that you jive with you trust like they don't necessarily ex- expect you to hire them but they'll help you and so we were we were really lucky to have gotten to know jimmy uh, over the course of several years uh, and eventually he's like look i know what's going on let me just let me help you but no zero presumption. And eventually we're like, OK, dude, please do, <laughs> please do this for us. But also just really ask a lot of questions of your potential acquirer. What are they going to do with the company? What's the future vision? Make sure they have a plan that it's not some short term thing. It's not some short term opportunity because some facet of some industry is growing quick. Mm. There are many, many entrepreneurs that just build the flip, right? They just want right. to build something that they know solves for a gap in the market with the hope that it fit into, fits into another business. That's great. But if if that's not your ambition with your company, just make sure you know what they're going to do with it right ask the ask the right questions number one thing i think uh, you, you need a mentor uh, a mentor is someone who who can really tell it like it is give you r- real raw feedback also ideally open up networks and just general knowledge for you but it's really about asking for help i mean there were moments in our career where we almost had to close the doors you know like there are definitely moments where like how are we going to pay salary next month like it was like pretty tight sometimes and it was with the help of a lot of friends and a lot of business partners, investors, advisors, part, like, and everything in between that got us through everything. And so you got to be able to reach out, though. And this community, if like, they like you and your idea and, and what you're building, people will help. It's very uh, unusual versus other industry like the beverage industry. It's all a fight for shelf space. There's some knowledge sharing, but not nearly as much as, 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 as in the Internet world. But it's hard. And you know, it's hard and the companies fail and it's okay to fail.
0: Well, a lot more companies fail than are successful. Way, yeah, and I think, I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm even jaded by you guys, like your group of friends, because it seems like everything you touch turns to gold, you know? And if you think about your circle of friends from Kyle to Justin, to you, to Michael and Colin's doing things like everyone's kind of has their hands in some really cool stuff. And I think a lot of it is attributed to, your relationships with each other? Because I think that you guys advise each other, you help each other. Do you think that you're at a wild advantage because of your circle of friends?
1: I think now our our lives are just, yes, fundamentally different now, right? We've built a lot of knowledge. we built a lot of experience, a lot of grit, and a lot of a, a different network than we had when we started. So back then, you know, we had to just talk to people. I remember once Michael was like, why do you talk to everyone? And I'm like, I don't know, like why not? Like everyone's doing cool stuff out there. And he wasn't like he wasn't like a negative accuser or anything, but it was like, what do you do? You know, you seem to like anyone who'll email you'll just like take a quick phone call with them just to see what see what they're up to. Why? I'm like, well, I don't know, I'm learning. That's that's the way I learn. So it's really about like making sure you're you're absorbing as much information as possible along the way and building a network. That's so critical. And a lot of people don't think about that in early entrepreneur age is what you're really doing over time too, is getting to know people learning about their expertise, helping them as they help you and so on. And that's how good community building happens. But that's for your career. Mm. You know, that's really important for you. You never know when you're gonna meet someone who might invest in you, who might become a paid partner, who might um, mentor you one day. Like that you don't know. And so it's good to keep an open mind. Obviously you have to focus and not be too distracted, but if you find those sort of right paths, it's 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 okay to do that, but it's that networking that we have now where we, this group, right? Justin, Michael, Emmett, Kyle, Colin, John, and so on. Like we all, Jacob, we all still talk and help each other and share ideas. We send each other interesting companies, not necessarily with the, you know, presumption of investing, but just, Hey, like there's this really cool group of entrepreneurs I'd like for you to meet your background uniquely. You can be helpful to them. Mm -hmm. So help them, you know, it's a lot of giving back too, really.
0: Well, that's, that's one of the things that I love about you most is, You have done a lot of collaborating along the way and you have networked with a lot of people along the way, but you seem to just keep up with everything and you give back. You're not just taking and saying, oh, I know all these like powerful people and I'm a powerful person. You really go out of your way to give back my mind is always boggled by your specific network, not just your little group of friends, but like you have a huge, huge network of people. How do you keep up with all these people and no one's ever pissed at you? Like you manage to be there for every single person. I wonder when you sleep or eat.
1: <laughs> I know uh, you find
0: ways to get that Taco Bell postmated. But.
1: <laughs> I do. I mean, I I, I text a lot. <laughs> text is like a good good way to keep in touch. Ask quick questions and so on. Particularly for like startups that need help, like they'll just text me. stuff. I'm just, just text text me. If I need to call you to explain, I'll call you like real quick. But and so I think that's that's a really powerful tool to me. Email is like so old and kind of antiquated now. It's just too slow. So I like that. But I don't know. I do feel bad. I feel bad a lot. Like there's a lot of people I, I lost touch with. You know, in the last. 11 years like just being so focused on on work as a
0: You mean personally? Yeah, imbalance mm-hmm.
1: in life like I lost touch with a lot of really great friends from high school and college and some of those are irreparable, unfortunately. So I think these days I try to be a bit more conscious of it. I don't know, for me, I don't sleep a lot. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to get seven hours. I think it's very important to roughly sleep the human average, but I don't sleep a lot. So I end up like, you know, staying up late texting. I I bond with, I connect with friends over video games. I'll, you know, go, go to events and stuff like that. But when I go, like I try to just not think about anything. But typically if someone reaches out through a friend, I'll I'll, I'll feel compelled to help if mm. however I can, whether that's simple introductions or a phone call for advice. To me, it's just about lifting each other up. We had a lot of people that believed in us and helped us and without whom we would not be here today. Many partners who like the specifics of bailing us out and when we needed money, we had a lot of people that helped us out and that's part of the untold story, but that's the reality is you need help. You need people around you and and you have to reciprocate. So that's it. I, I don't know. I don't balance super well. I, I actually think there's space for a technological solution to this problem of how do you keep in touch with people better? I don't think it's like, you know, the social networks today are not what they were promised to be in the beginning. Mm. Uh, no longer. So I think there's space for that. My most favorite time spent at Twitch was talking to creators about their show ideas, helping them really hone in on what they should do and how the tech can support that. You know, like I remember when people started using green screens for the first time on on Twitch and transporting themselves into the video game instead of having this like random wall backdrop. And that seemingly small change was massive. And, and, it, and that type of small iteration, but really talking. One of my favorite projects last year was talking to Bernie Sue about artificial. So he did this crazy live scripted sci-fi show. They just want a Peabody. And it was just cool to think through how content and tech really intersect and how platforms like ours can really enable the next generation of television consumption. What does that look like? How is it interactive? How are users engaging with each other and engaging with the content. I like Twitch and where we're at because we let anyone, we really do give anyone the chance at success. Mm -hmm. And I like that kind of system where anyone can turn on a free stream on Twitch, broadcast to the whole world for free, and everyone in that world can watch you for free. So
0: you're on this show because you're a tech influencer. Who is somebody that you look up to and you consider a tech influencer that we can stalk? Because Aside
1: from the, the homies we've talked about already?
0: Yeah, somebody outside of the friend group, the intimate friend group, somebody that you kind of always have your your eyes on and you're like, oh, this person's doing something.
1: Oh, there's so many. I mean, OK, so one of my most favorite people and one of my mentors throughout my career, I don't even think he realized he was being a mentor, was Mike Morheim, who was the founder and up until recently CEO Of Blizzard. They made all of my favorite games: StarCraft, Diablo, Hearthstone, et cetera. And he was just like the sweetest guy. And, you know, in today's terms in business, you describe him as like incredibly inclusive and so on. Like he just built this team of people who were super nice to each other, who drove each other so aggressively in the sense of let's move let's build awesome things fast and let's build them right for the users and they kept the gamers as the heart of the company just as we try to create creators treat creators as the heart of twitch he's one of my just favorite people and uh i'm always curious as to what he's up to what he's thinking about you know there's one of my favorite people i've ever met was adam bain uh he was coo at twitter And we were just talking about all these crazy ideas that Twitch and Twitter could do. And he he eventually left. Um, But he's one of those dudes that's so generous, super thoughtful, gave you advice when you didn't even ask for it. He could just almost detect what you were thinking about, what your business was going through. He just had those strong instincts. And then he started just to connect you with people for free, no presumption. All you listeners, if you find someone that says, yeah, I'll introduce some people. It's gonna take some equity in your business to do that. Don't talk to them please stay away from them. A good person, a good person who's actually trying to help you will help you for free with no presumption of getting any equity in your business. And there are some you should approach yourself that are particularly helpful and say, hey, I want to give you some advisory shares. Will you help me? And don't overpressure it. But like, the, you know, in a rare occasion you want to do that. But for people that really want to help you reward them, of course, but not under the presumption that they're going to be rewarded for free. If, if, if people don't share their knowledge and share their networks, to me, things break down. and you can't really find that next great generation of people who are going to make a difference. I run into a lot of those people these days. I just it just gives me a bad feeling.
0: And then in closing, you gave advice to these new startup kids, <laughs> the, kids. the kids, the kids the kids. What advice would you give Kevin sitting in the basement, playing magic? In hindsight, career wise, like what would be one token that you would like to just drop into little Kevin's brain?
1: Huh. Wow. I've never been. Okay, that's. uh,
0: You have all the info now. What are you telling little Kevin with his satanic cards?
1: I think the thing I wish I did honestly was was be able to talk to my parents about my experience growing up. It was so weird and stressful and depressing, honestly, at times. And I, my parents didn't know how to deal with it. You know, I think that's why my, 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 my brother is still kind of you know, not into going back ever. He, he went back with me recently, but he was just had such a traumatic experience. I think it's important for parents to be able to do that. And I don't blame my parents at all. And they were probably experiencing stuff that I didn't know about that they never talked to me about. And I kind of wish we could have talked through that because you know my identity throughout my life has changed so much. In college, heavily involved in Asian in Asian American groups, and post college life, and when we were doing Justin TV, it was so crazy busy. I, I felt bad. I felt disconnected from that community, and now I'm working with that community again, and it's great. But being able to talk about things like that identity with with parents and friends, I think would have been. I didn't talk to my friends in New Orleans that much about it for fear of backlash, for fear that people were like, "Well, yeah, of course, people aren't you like that, right?" Mm. And so I didn't know how people would react. I never tackled it I never tackled it until I was older and so I kind of wished that because I think it would have opened up it would have made me enjoy my childhood there more because then I would have understood why I didn't understand why the bullying was happening or that people were so at the time described stupid why are people so stupid they weren't stupid they just didn't know better or you know maybe they were just poking fun because that's what you do as kids but I translate in my head as like people hate me for x y or z reason and I never able was able to talk to anybody about that so I think that's what I would tell 13 year old kept to do.
0: <laughs> I mean, but it seems like despite all of that, you were still a very social person, very confident person, one of the most social, confident people I know to date. So it worked out, right?
1: Thanks. Yeah, I still feel like I'm shy, but
0: I don't, I mean, maybe it's just because <laughs> I know you.
1: Yeah think yeah, definitely open up. Um...
0: Hey, whatever happened along the way, it worked out, I think. Yeah. I've already taken up so much of your time. We probably could. T- I mean, there's so many layers to startup world, but I, I really liked learning the origin story because I think it's really helpful for people who are in that position right now. And just like the main message of what you start with will not be what you end up with. And that's OK. And it's actually awesome. But yeah, there's so many different things I could dabble into with you, but I feel like we'd be here for six hours and you probably have a hundred people to meet. Thanks for stopping by. I am so excited for everyone to hear this interview and I'm sure you'll be back.
1: I would love to love to come back. Okay. Yeah, please do.
0: Please do. All right, Kevin. Kevin Lynn, everybody. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks
1: for listening. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it.
0: Anytime. Behind the Influence is a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media.